Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 294. We're getting close to 300. Maybe we'll do something special. Uh, We're also coming up on six years here, these holidays, too. It's crazy to think about. It's been that long. Um, But, yeah, we have a special episode tonight. Uh, I am alive. Thank you to some people sending emails it's only been a week since our last show but people knew i had a nasty venomous spider bite it's kind of going away um and it wasn't a brown recluse it was the southern it was a sack spider either way this thing is gnarly um (laughs) if i put a timeline of like the progression you'd throw up when it got to the middle when it was like black and uh necrotic um yeah so all fun stuff. No, no, but I, I, I am a lot better. Thank you. To, there's a few people that sent me emails and stuff. So um, tonight we are going to be discussing the bicameral mind, which is a theory and book by Julian Jaynes, who was a um, psychologist and like uh, he studied ancient psychology, too. Um, and uh, I think what was this written in 69, 70? 76. 76, okay. But he started researching it, I think, late 60s, I believe. Totally, yeah, it took him a long time. Um, But yeah, so we're going to discuss all that. Special guest tonight, welcome back on the show. It's been years, uh, Andrew Tischler. Um, if you don't know Andrew, you can go back and listen to our episodes with him. We did, I believe, one on uh, Rudolf Steiner, and I think one on... Just philosophy in general, like Plato, Socrates. That one got kind of screwed up, though. So if you go back and listen to that, there might be like a doubling of my voice, which sounds terrible. So, yep. We did uh, Tom Campbell and we did um, the Dunning Kruger. I forgot we did that many, too. We've done, I guess we have yeah. done. I thought we did like two or three, but we must have done like four. Yeah, we did do Tom Campbell's Theory of Everything. Um, those fans don't like me because I always point out the lack of inclusion of just at least having psychedelics in that pantheon of stuff he talks about in his book. Right. Um, his his followers uh, don't like that. But, um, but yeah, those were great episodes, actually. And the Dunning-Kruger one I thought was great, too. That was before a lot of you hear people talk about it all the time. Now that was actually people weren't really talking about it that much back then. But yeah. But yeah, man, it's good to have you back on. If you don't know who Andrew is, too, he is a very sick, very heady glass blower. Uh, you can check him out at a Tischler Glass on Instagram. Uh, you won't be able to really see it, but I have my sweet Terp marble here. Um, and uh, here I'll pull up a couple pictures real quick too of some marbles that he blew. Again, hand blown glass. Look at this beauty. Um, do you know this one's for sale right now? Yeah, that one I have on my website. 
So. Okay. What's your website? <clears throat> you said it. Atishlerglass.com. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. And then and uh, this beauty too. I love your fractal work. That's actually, it's uh, two shots of the same marble. So that's a. Uh, oh, that's the back end of it? Yeah. It's a, oh, like, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, I see. I see. I see. I see. Yeah, man. Yeah. Sick. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for showing me that. And can I take a second to say thank you for having me on and congrats on 294 episodes and all the success. It's really cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, and yeah, we'll have many more to come. This thing's evolving as as we are. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, so go check out Andrew's stuff. I highly recommend it. Uh, if you like functional glass, even non-functional, I mean, I guess you could use those marbles for anything, not just turp sets, but, um, but yeah, that's what, that's what, I, what I'm using them for. Um, anyways, so we're going to talk about the bicameral mind. You and I used to go back and forth a lot more, you know, back in the day we've obviously things come up, life happens, but, um, we, you know, you'll send me, you used to send me some interesting stuff to look into. I would check that out. I'd tell you about some stuff. Um, and yeah, dude, some of the, actually the stuff that you sent me is stuff that I've really gone deep into. And, um, I, I can actually, I can confidently say that you made me reassess philosophy. So I went back and, um, you were part of the catalyst too, of, you know, kind of the show taking that kind of a turn. Um, if you will, but I think just having those tools is huge. But without further ado, let's get into this thing, the bicameral mind. Uh, you said you were reading it. I'm like, I got to check this out. People have been telling me to check out this book for years um, and this theory. I kind of had an idea of what it was, but uh, why don't you give me a little bit of a summary from your um, reading it and looking into it and everything. Yeah, sure. So I, I do think he uh, spent, like you said, a decade or two thinking about consciousness. And I think he um, mentions in the book, like spending years following dead end trails before he finally hit upon this theory that he came up with. Um, he was also a linguist. So he studied origin of language, I think probably with like the uh, intention or like with the insight that it may have something to do with consciousness. So him knowing so much about early language, I think really helped him develop the theory the way he did. Um, but yeah, the questions about consciousness. And I really like the way he um, breaks down the different views that we currently have is that it's either something that is like a panpsychism, that the whole universe is conscious, which, you know, we can definitely get into that as we get into the meaty stuff. But you know, did consciousness start at the beginning at the Big Bang or did it start with, you know, complicated matter or did it start with um, the first single cell or is it a complex nervous system? And to all of our surprise, his conclusion was actually that none of those things are the real catalyst and that actually language helped give rise to the modern kind of consciousness that we have. Um, well, let's let's. Stop. I want to hold you up right there because we've talked about that on the show. Massive, massive point. I don't think people really think about it that much, but even think about cultures and, and, you know, just different languages and how people interact within those cultures via their own language and percent. There's some languages that can't even, they don't even have descriptions or words for 
things that other cultures do and stuff like that. So um, it has a massive influence on consciousness, whether it is the catalyst that changed it along kind of like what you're saying or not. I think that it's it's at least one of the contributing factors, in my opinion. I totally agree. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah. So he gets into this thing. So we've talked a lot about on the show about gods. Uh, where are these gods? Where did they go? Who were, you know, like, where was this coming from? So um, why don't you explain that aspect of it? Because I think that that's obviously the most important point or, you know, part of the theory. Yeah. So he picks up the gods kind of in the middle of his theory and um, he's trying to, uh, well, okay. So I think the origin of the gods would have been like a, a tribal leader. Um, so like the first God was like a King of Ur that they find buried with, you know, uh, certain things. Um, uh, so when the, uh, you know, like if you imagine ancient hominids and tribal communities listening to the leader dictating and, you know, where the leader goes, everyone follows. Um, and, uh, there's like, he, he kind of describes just a chain of events that occur that, um, instead of hearing the leader's voice when he's alive, you, you, you know, that he argues that you continue to hear the leader's voice after he dies and that this leader's voice transforms into the voice of not just a human leader, but like a leader on high. And all of a sudden now there's like this transition from um, a, a living human God to like a God removed. And uh, what do yeah. you think about that part too? Cause I thought that, that was kind of weird when they were talking about how people used to, like dress and sit dead people at the table and like yep. so like that what you're saying is kind of the idea that even when they die they still hear that voice so they take care of the body as if it's still alive which was kind of a weird thing to think exactly. about yeah um because they continue to hallucinate so you know the whole one of the whole idea of that stage is that they are not introspecting moment to moment about what to go do that if they are behaving or acting in any way, it's as a result of these hallucinated voices of the leader telling them what to do. And it's just that these, these hallucinated voices are ever present, you know, for these, for this bicameral people. Um, it, you know, it's the source of their volition and action. Yeah. To your yeah. point too, the, the father, the archetypes, the father, the mother, gods, goddesses, um, yeah, and what does he call them? He calls them like noble cogs or noble um, automatons, something like that, where they're just like they have like good intentions of being a good human being. However, they don't have like you just said, like introspection or something like that. I think like you know, as a a metaphor, like a beehive or an ant colony, you know where why are they so consistent? Why are they so dedicated to the queen and to the colony? And it's because like radio transmitters, they're constantly getting signals from the queen herself. You know, it's a really kind of a one-to-one -one metaphor for the bicameral society that these like rulers are able to just basically transmit like telepathically, you know? Yeah. Um, almost like instinctual commands. Yeah. So it's like, they're they're moral to a fault because 
the volition isn't there to take them. Yeah. Didn't it, doesn't it feel like it just, it answers too many questions. Like it just fits. It's almost like, you know, he's got a board and all the strings of all the mysteries surrounding consciousness and origins and stuff just lee like it fits, everything fits into place. So that's why this is a interesting theory and why you might have people like try and poke holes in it, but there's not like a, Oh, that's pseudoscience or anything like that. Cause it, you really can't refute it in a way. Even people like Daniel Dennett, who's like a hardcore materialist, says it's like one of the bigger inspirations for the way he thinks about consciousness and stuff like that. Oh, so. I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. His just the analysis on consciousness and what it isn't and what it is, I think is one of the reasons I suggested it to you, like given his theory or not, just the being, like you said, having that in your toolbox uh, is pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, again, I've been putting it off. I don't know why I did, but maybe it's, Things, you know, I think sometimes, sometimes that stuff happens for a reason, like you're just into something else or something else is going on and then it hits you at the right time and place. Totally. Yeah. Um, I, a friend of mine that has also read the book, we like to joke that Jane's was a academic materialist scholar that accidentally stumbled upon an esoteric truth about the world. Um, so his methodology is strictly evolutionary materialist which is you know you, you you read that in the in the book he's not not broaching the subject of what are the gods except outside of just neurological kind of stuff um but we you know we like to i i don't think it's um a too far of a you can use james's theories and have them inform more spiritual worldviews and they just it, it still fits like you're saying it fits too well um so I think he, he's on to something, but there's definitely more to the story, too, than is in his books, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the One of the interesting things to me is he actually uses um, ancient Greece, like, a lot as, like, the backbone, the way he describes it. So he's talking about... <sighs> Like if you look at like Solon's writing, who Solon is one of the great, you know, seven sages of ancient Greece. And uh, he's saying he's he's like one of the first conscious or introspective people. And then you have like Thales, the first philosopher, natural philosopher. Oh, there's other explanations than these weird voices we've been hearing forever kind of a thing. Um, yep. Now, thinking about that, though, um do you think that because there's a lot of stuff because like that even incorporates the schizophrenia aspect of this which is he's saying that that is or that was like some part of it or on some level most people had it or something like that was the confusing part to me is like is that kind of the vibe you got from that or well what he noticed is that the behavior and like internal experience of schizophrenics is he, he calls it like um a vestige which is a fancy word for like a leftover um so the fact that by or the fact that schizophrenics here interact with and act on the voices in their heads told him that that is something that's plausible in human nature you know it's it's it's, it's not something we have to imagine because we have examples of it now and you know he talks about how even um average people 
experienced voices in like a sort of one to three, one to four ratio, but most people don't report them. But like stories of housewives that have conversations with their dead mothers or grandmothers as a, as a matter of course every morning, but just wouldn't report it to the husband because of who would believe them. But when they're asked about it, they, all these stories come out. So, so schizophrenia for him was like a proof that this is a possible thing, that human beings have this relationship with a voice in their head and that the brain can produce voices and audio hallucinations and visual hallucinations. And um, So yeah, I mean, they, they, it wouldn't be that all by camera. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that even today, we still don't really understand the mechanisms that drive, like, there's different theories, like gut biome stuff, uh, I've heard. They've even tested, I, I think Rick Straussman was talking about how they were testing urine, looking for dimethyltryptamine to see if that might have, like, overproduction in the brain or something like that might have caused yeah. uh, something along those lines. Who knows? It could still be something you know, endogenous or neurochemical or something like that. But yeah, I, um, we should get into this too, but there is a litany of other authors and, you know, philosophers who, who are, yeah, uh, parroting or mimicking, uh, James's ideas without even knowing it a lot of the time coming up with it on their own. Um, Oh, what was my point? lost my point. Um, Sorry. Yeah, I lost my point. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get into the list of other people, too, that are substantiating this this uh, theory. That's it's pretty exciting. Yeah. So, again, you can look into it and it seems like it's got like a weird reception where it's got like a cult following kind of. And it also, uh, like you said, has some esoteric aspects to it. But then even the more skeptical people don't they're not like attacking it like they would something else. Yeah. You know, you reminded me that was what I was going to say is. um yeah, they're 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 desperately searching to con a materialist neurological or some sort of biological foundation for for these things. But what James is saying is that consciousness evolved not just with the human nervous system or you know with our our DNA or our brains because our brains were already in place in these pre bicameral ages. That consciousness is really this language thing. And then sorry, it's a long way around but to also say that. You know, someone like Rudolf Steiner will talk about etheric and astral bodies, other non-physical systems that play into our consciousness that these scientists aren't studying, don't have an idea about. So sometimes I wonder and conjecture if um, if they're not going to find material causes for this stuff, but if we more apt to find it in these more subtle bodies, which we don't really have science for yet. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, like, I will say that after reading this book, like I just said, it's, like, very romantic to, like, think about it in that way. However, I still favor more of, like, the possible entheogen use with ritual with more of a spiritual side of things. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not... I'm not a bicameral mind endorser now. I just think that it's a really interesting way to look at, you know, because because if you think about it, it's not was it the collapse of the Bronze Age is when he's talking about, like I said, Solon, one of the first people. And then even if you look at so what we know about Socrates, we know from two people, from Plato, from the dialogues and from um uh xenophon um so i think xenophon 
describes him as just merely a man. So like how could a great man be described as merely a man unless Xenophon maybe, you know, had a little bit of the bicameral thing still kicking around in there, you know? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know, something to no, think I like about. That. Absolutely, yeah, I, I follow, yeah. Um, What was something in the book, though, that, like, really shocked you? Because, like, the fact that he used the Iliad and then... Okay, so in the Iliad, he's saying that these are all bicameral minds. The gods are telling them what to do. They're talking about Thumos and Noose. Thumos is like your spirit or like it's described in different ways. So it's kind of difficult to describe, but noose is like your intelligence or your intellect or whatever. Um, But he talks about all these old words used and, you know, so he, in the Iliad, they're all these bicameral minds. And then when you get to the Odyssey, Odysseus has the ability to use introspection and manipulate and trickster, you know, these, what are they called? Not sea wenches, uh, sirens, and right. yeah. So, yeah, the archetype of a of a conniving, lot like problem solving, right? Which is totally not what you find in the Iliad, according to Jane's. Yeah. So, but what did you did you find that? Because that was actually really shocking to me because I've read those before and I didn't even really think about that at all when I read them. Right? You're just thinking right. it's like some old timey way of talking. It, Totally. So I, I do think like, yeah, his ability to bring logic or just a, a new understanding that's plausible to all of these epic poems and, and phrases we find in ancient texts that we either mistranslate or just don't have, you know, any experience with. We don't have a, a, that experience. So we paste over our modern experience because why? how could we know that there's something different? Uh, but once you see it, yeah, um, everything is, you know, the, the water told him to do this and the sky told him to do that. And his God has told him to go. And yeah, it's like, wow. Uh, yeah, he does such a beautiful job. Like there's like four or five more words that you, you know, you, that he breaks down. Like this is not consciousness. It's not consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, some of those words all then get used as like body parts too. So it gets get like really weird too, yeah. like the way it's used. Um, um, real yeah. quick, uh, uh, my friend that is also familiar with this. She's, she's always pointing out that like, if you read the Bible, uh, you'll, in the earlier bits, you always, it'll start with like, hear my voice, listen to my, you know, listen to me, hear what I have to say, like, hear, hear me. And it's like, that's, that's a bicameral thing. Like it's, you know, the auditory hallucination will become your volition. Do, do, listen to the voice and do as it tells you. Like you, you start to see the bicameral idea in all of these old. Uh, yeah. So do you think the catalyst would have been like a Solon or somebody being like, um, kind of what you said, like you, you hear the voice and instead of thinking, oh, I just, I do whatever this thing's telling me to do, kind of like it says, mm-hmm. um, but maybe at that point, Solon realized, oh, this is just my internal, you know, theater or whatever. Uh, I don't have to do that. I have the choice or free will to do or not do that. You know, and then yeah. that's not that's what we have now, which is like, yeah, we have our inner voice and our, you know, if you want to say your hypothetical angel and devil on your shoulder, we have those and. 
or maybe some people don't actually. I think that there is some sort of, I don't know what it's called, but I feel like there is something I've read where people don't have that introspection. That would be interesting. Now I got to look into that because I think that that might. Exactly. Um, So um, this is where like um, I would enter, enter um, a guy named Marshall McLuhan. Are you familiar with McLuhan? You know, so his whole idea is like, the extensions of man and technology extending our body uh, in different ways. So like the telephone extends our vote, our voice, you know, the camera extends our eyes, the tire extends our feet, you know, so the road extends, you know, everything, all of these different technologies extend part of our body. Um, But so he's talking about how the media, you know, his big thing, the medium is the message. So he was saying it's not about what you put in a newspaper or book. It's the fact that the book is the dominant media that matters. It's not what you put on television. It's that the people are watching television in a society that makes a difference. So what I hear from that is, and what, what James even points out, is that people that are taught to read and write, that cancels out bicameralism. So um, that's a first important step. And like you're saying, Solon was one of just the only literate people around. And because he was literate, there was a better chance that he was not having the bicameral experience and that he was the first one to write about his introspection. Um, But prior to learning to read and write, you know, James talks about having to deduce, okay, yeah, the big, the big thing that stops the bicameralism and starts modern consciousness is um, the chaos of meeting other societies seeing people behaving in other ways listening to other gods and then warring when when there was no more peace when societies are collapsing and you're exposed to all this novelty and your 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 gods can't get you through it and he said that you there's a chance that the first um first we had to assume that the other person that was like a part of some other society that maybe they're conscious maybe there's an eye in them that's why they're so different from me. And if they have an eye in them, maybe I have an eye in me too. And he talks about maybe the first people to wake up, woke up because they thought someone else was conscious and it almost like spurred them to consciousness, which is a funny idea. It kind of turns, um, I forget who's the psychologist that said like the first, the mirror stage, like Lacan, I think, like you become conscious by recognizing yourself. Well, Jane says it's actually the opposite. You become conscious by recognizing someone else with some, with some other gods that are doing their own thing that doesn't match with what you're doing. So I think um, Solon must have had parents that saw the collapse of societies, passed on, you know, a slightly less bicameral thing. And then when he was educated and taught to read and write, that that, that type of education just cancels out bicameralism. And the last point I'll make is that's the same reason Plato was against poets in his Republic. He wanted to ban poetry. uh, And it's because poets put people into trances and they have bicameral experiences. And he wanted people not to have, not to learn from the oral tradition, but learn from the written tradition. So yeah, that's what they're mentioning, right? Like the poems with the music and these like, like, like they would use it as a, um, like a system of remembering or something like that. I mean, it was very psychedelic. They would go in, the, the poet, the reciters would go into a trance and the gods would write, recite to them and they'd repeat it. And the listeners would go into a trance and they would become the figures in the story. They'd have this psychedelic, like you said, almost entheogenic, where they, they become the hero. 
that the that the reciter is talking about and then you know they snap out of it when it ends and they go oh my gosh like yeah so that's that's this idea of so this bicameralism that one one critique i would have of of this whole theory um psychedelics because people did psychedelics people did entheogens you right. would be hard pressed to convince me that somebody's not introspective from one of these experiences or people like for instance if you did the lucidian mysteries everybody has to partake in it once in their life everybody experiences the kekian um so that in itself would be like transferring from bicameral mind into some sort of conscious awareness state um again i'm not just i'm not saying i'm this would debunk his theory i'm just pointing out that like anybody who had that experience in the ancient world i think would have been ousted from the bicameral mind i i'm glad you brought that up because it dovetails with like my you know when i think about and compare it with rudolf steiner uh so again jane's you know his method is to work within academia to use academic methodology, publish in peer-reviewed journals. So there was a severe limit to how much he could conjecture and to what kind of information he could use in these theories. And I think he as a person accepted those limitations, but we don't have to. And so Steiner, you know, will talk about, just as you're saying, mystery schools and initiations. And what I would think is that, yes, the collapse of civilizations changed consciousness on a large scale. But what Steiner is saying that on a small scale and on a much more intentional scale these mystery schools are initiating people and steiner literally goes as far as saying this that people in ancient mystery circles were experiencing a kind of consciousness that everyone in the future would experience that initiation is initiation into a new kind of consciousness so if you were talking about a bicameral age these people are being initiated into our modern consciousness and so solon may have been an initiate and it it was through these initiating processes with psychedelics or meditation or other things that are actually bringing people out of bicameralism just as you're saying and so james isn't tracing that lineage because it's harder with his methodology but we can and we can say that perhaps it wasn't just this the collapse but it was these secret schools that were intending to bring a new type of consciousness as a result of their whole spiritual worldview Um, i think you definitely said it well yeah i agree um, I just want to point out a great book. So we're talking about the collapse of the Bronze Age. There's a book called 1177 BC uh, by Eric Klein. Now, he's an academic. It's kind of like a mainstream book, but it's a really look. Whatever you like about history, you have to know what scientists and archaeologists are saying. So even if you don't believe it, you should know where they stand so you can have a conversation with them about it. But that book is unbelievable to tell you exactly what was going on in 1177 BC, which is a collapse of a lot of shit. So, That's, And again, you can read it with the bicameral theory in mind and they start to bounce back. I, I made a note. I'll definitely check it out. Um, and then, yeah, just, just for, just to get it out of my head, like, um, well, you, yeah. Do you mind me taking another tangent? <laughs> Dude, run with it, bro. Thank you. Um, so, I have been reading Rudolf Steiner for a decade or more, as you know, Um, and in Steiner constantly you hear this phrase atavistic clairvoyance. So atavistic kind of means ancient or um, like a way that things used to be that they aren't anymore, Uh, a way of an antiquated way of doing things. 
So he, he kind of says it's almost regressive. Like at that point it was fine, but now it's atavistic clairvoyance. So he would say things like um, the whole spiritist movement and trying to get knocks on doors or appear, have ghosts appear that, uh, or, or even schizophrenia or all these things are kind of like at a, well, okay. He, he talked about ancient, he talked about ancient people having this atavistic clairvoyance as a rule that all ancient people at a certain point had this, had this clairvoyance. And so, you know, it just didn't take me long when I was reading Jane's to realize like they're talking about the same thing. Steiner is saying that all ancient people have a type of clairvoyance and James is saying that all ancient people visually and auditorily hallucinate and see into their spiritual world. It's like, okay, these people are saying the same thing. But what's funny is that Steiner said it a hundred years before James did. And he said it for completely different reasons. And James said it not because he read Steiner and agreed, but because he used a, a fully different methodology, but came to the same conclusion. So it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here's this, you know, Oxford educated linguist psychologist talking about atavistic clairvoyance. And here's Steiner talking about atavistic clairvoyance. And then I read Marshall McLuhan and he's talking about how media changes your mind that the dominant media in a society dictates the kind of mind. So before writing, what was the media? It was this clairvoyance. That's how society's organized. That's how they got information around. And there's a guy named Todd Murphy who talks about a Darwinistic theory of reincarnation. And listening to his lecture, he just brings up the same point. And there's Gene Gebser. Uh, there's all these, you know, Tom Campbell. His whole theory is... You know who the first one was to kind of... Well, I mean, you we people attribute a ton of shit to this guy, but they don't know exactly what exactly was his. But Pythagoras, right? Exactly. Um, that was like he that was he led an ascetic cult where people were vegetarian and you know believed in reincarnation and used this number magic and numerology to kind of figure these things out. Totally. Um, so, like, <laughs> once James put it to me. I realized that all of the people I'm reading about are talking about this, this, the evolution of consciousness. And I, I know you share that passion and that's what you're, you know, a lot of this channel is about is like talking about the future, the new paradigm, consciousness, spirituality, like, so it was just really exciting to realize like Oxford academic materialist, he's talking about it. Esotericist, he's talking about it. You know, McLuhan's talking about it. All, a psychologist. They're all coming to this conclusion. So it's like this this new paradigm is starting to creep and get some serious yeah. cold. And I just thought it was so exciting to find people hundreds of years apart, totally dissolute, same ideas. So that was to me really exciting. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think you hit it on the head too with that whole idea. And um, yeah, I haven't looked into or listened to any Steiner stuff in a long time. Maybe I'll revisit it. Um, but uh, in terms of what you were saying, I mean, the whole religious, um, you know, gods, goddesses, whole thing, it just it was so confusing to me recently within the last few years of, like, doing this show. It's like, it's got something else has to be going on, whether it's entheogens and ritual or meditation or some sort of, you know, I think I wonder what other people think sometimes because I feel I feel like other people think that the world used to be different where there was like superpowers in ancient times or something like that. Like I'm, I'm being honest too. I, I feel like I when I talk to people about this stuff sometimes it's like they think those things, but in reality 
the world is the same. I mean, maybe a little bit different, like you said, consciousness and different ways of looking at things, but um, people are people, you know, so. Yeah. 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 It's a, I mean, that's a big topic, but I think um, just to say a little bit about it, like we've definitely been brought up in, an, in this scientific worldview where what exists is natural forces gravity you know that what is it the weak and strong electromagnetic force uh stuff i don't you know the, the complicated physics and all this and so but what what brings the world about is natural forces well of course we know that even newton struggled with this idea of action at a distance like he invented gravity but he didn't know why it worked he could tell you how it worked in the math but why, why are they attracted to each other we, we still kind of struggle with that um so Okay, we have the scientific thing where everything is forces. Well, if you ask me, prior to that, every person on the planet explained the way the world worked, not in terms of forces, but in terms of beings. Because, well, what what is growing the plants? Well, I got to go out and plant the plants and I got to harvest them. They don't harvest themselves. So like, if things get done, a being is doing them. Why is the bee flying around? Who makes the honey? Who does, you know? things beings accomplish things not not forces not un not an unintelligent you know there was no idea of forces so it makes sense to me that people thought of the way that the world worked in terms of minds or beings or souls or so then now natural forces aren't forces they're spirits natural spirits and everything is alive because they didn't know how to think in terms of dead forces um, so yeah, everything is a being, everything is a God, because look at all this intelligence, look at all this behavior, things, if there, if there's nothing alive, rocks don't move, right? So if it's moving, if the world, all the sun is moving, it must be alive, it must be a God, it must be a being. So it's like they saw everything in terms of being, in terms of what we may call consciousness, and not in terms of forces. So yeah, I think like that is a big shift. And now we're starting to see a shift back towards like, what are these forces? Are they intelligent? Do they have mind? Are they conscious? Are there consciousness? And yeah, so I don't know if that if that is, helps at all or. Yeah, no, that was uh, great insight. I think, um, yeah, I, I. It's it's hard to put yourself in like somebody else's consciousness now, let alone somebody that lived 3000, 4,000, 5,000 years, you know, whatever. Um, so I mean, really though, like I, I'll keep saying this, it, this just kind of like fits all of those weird mysteries that they couldn't figure out of like the gods and goddesses. Cause like even archeologists and anthropologists, they'll tell you like, Oh, these were the, primordial gods nut and gab and the, the you know it had to do with this mythology and you know the, the beginning and but they don't they don't really they don't look at it they don't look at they just look at how these people did these things they don't look at why they did these things and and yeah. i think that's important purpose or telos is massive when it comes to this stuff and teleology has been utterly removed from the sciences and philosophy and, and academic circles that there's no point, you know, just, again, it goes right back to the evolution of consciousness. What's the point of it all? And if you believe in a teleology, you think there is a point. Yeah. And that's been taken out. So yeah, that's a great, great call. Well, even so, and I've talked about this before, like, even if you use like extreme Cartesian doubt about like 
purpose or whatever, you would still be left with evolution, which is in itself is purpose. Like trying to survive is purpose. So if you stripped everything away, the fundamental reason of why we multiply and live and breathe is because that there is that purpose is to stay alive. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think Tom Campbell summed it just up what you're saying. There's only, okay. There's three options. There's, you can evolve, you can devolve, or you can stay the same. Well, it actually takes more energy to say the same than the other two options. So that gets thrown out. And, you know, if you devolve, that just hurts the system. So the system, evolution is the only game in town. There's no stasis. There's no devolving. We have to continue to evolve. And it reminds me all the time of a Goethe poem that had the title uh, Stability in Change. And so if you have if you have the idea of love or consciousness or the Godhead or if this this being if that does exist, it, it can't just sit around and be. It, it, if it does that, it'll start to devolve. So everything is trying to keep the stability and change towards evolution, towards love. And that's kind of how I see it. It's like, yeah, uh, evolution is, is that's the only game in town. We got to keep moving forward. And where we're going, well, we're going to figure that out. There's no one that can say where we're going. We're going to get, we're going to find out when we get there. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't say no one. I mean, eventually here is pretty soon. I think we'll have more of a hand in where that's going. I mean, yeah, just I, with like technology and CRISPR yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So for sure. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think uh, I look to people like Steiner and you know, maybe even people like Tom Campbell and Marsh McLuhan sort of visionaries that are, are offering insights. Um, but I'm taking that sentiment a bit from Steiner himself. Like, you know, we're trying to become free and uh, we have to, if we don't do that, we're not, you know, we're not going to continue to evolve. So yeah, th- there's definitely a, I think there's a big cosmic plan and that we're, we're instigators in that plan. So, yeah. I mean, look again, go read this book because it will make you think, especially if you're into like the ancient stuff and had questions about things. I remember, so like there's the famous like mythos surrounding Thales that when, uh, it was a rainy season and he realized there was going to be more of a, a harvest for olives. So he went around and bought all the olive presses uh, then when it came time to press all the olives and all these people were looking, where did they go? Oh, this dude just made a fortune. Uh, yep. cause he understood, you know, this, these were natural forces, not bicameral gods talking to me, telling me to do this. So again, yep. it'll, it'll make you go back and think about all these stories and anecdotes and things. And again, it fits. So it's, it's weird. It's just, it could be one of those things that's just a coincidence, but Maybe yeah. there's some truth in there and, and we'll figure that out here, you know, in the future. Yep. And just to, to reiterate that, if you're the kind of person who uses the word consciousness, you kind of have to read bicameralism, not because he's right, but because he does such a good job analyzing the reality of consciousness that it's just worth having in your toolbox and your lexicon. Um, but yeah, if you're interested in ancient mythology, like you're saying, like there's a bunch of different angles to approach it. But certainly, if you're talking about consciousness, you've got to put this on your reading list. It's just one of those books. Yeah, so, and there's, it's really three books in one, um, and he kind of breaks down everything in each one. Um, I, just to interrupt real quick, even if you were on. to read the, the first hundred pages, where, like you're saying, the first third, where he's just talking about what consciousness is and what it isn't, 
you could stop there and you would be so benefited so much from having picked that up. But once you get that far, it is pretty hard to stop. As you know, having read the book, gets well, what, do you, what do you think? Well, how would you define? I'll, I'll tell you real quick how I think about it now after reading this and just everything I know, mm-hmm. I define yeah. consciousness as self-awareness and introspection, meaning that you can look at your relationship to the external world around you and make decisions, manipulate things, alter things, things of that nature. It's not just, oh, light's coming in or, oh, it's 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 the complex system that gets formed through whether it's evolution or evolution of mind as you get older and your system just starts to kind of start firing into place. But it's the, when things are clicking, it's the ability to think about things internally um, and then externalize them or vice versa or whatever. Right. Oh yeah. It's a good question. Um, I'm, I'm reaching to think about what, how would James answer that, but how am I answering that? Um, yeah. Consciousness. Um, I like to, sometimes I think of it uh, as like the stage. Hold on. It was funny. You're like, yeah, consciousness. <laughs> like, like one of those old timey guys. He's got like a little mustache, right? These twirling. Yeah. <laughs> Be a good little clip to pull out and get memed. I mean, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I think of it like there's the eye, like James talks about, but then there's the stage that all the things that the eye interacts with and the stage is kind of like the consciousness, but you made a good point. You don't just witness it. You also do consciousness. So it's not just the stage because there's an interactive element. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of just, you know, uh, reciting what other people think of things so i think um steiner has a cool system where he talks about physical ether astral eye body but then he talks about where we are now is like developing like we're like spiritualizing the etheric body which he calls like consciousness soul and then we'll spiritualize the astral body and then eventually spiritualize the physical body so he has these seven stages and he puts us at like four going on to five so he's got an answer um you know and uh yeah yeah consciousness i just think it's just such a hard question to answer when you're talking about jane's because he does such a good job of whittling away everything you thought you knew about what consciousness is until it's like i i and spatialization and an eye in a mind an analog eye in a mind space yeah (laughs) it's a good question yeah but i mean just think about that like um that I thought about it like when I was thinking about like that's like kind of like what a video game would be like you hit a Mm -hmm. button the thing does the thing not that there would be the god though in the control you're doing that thing to yourself um if that makes sense like it would be a video game playing itself but just still doing the video game and not doing like whatever it wants or free will or whatever yeah you're 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 pointing towards this idea that like, and this is a bit of a McLuhanist idea that like the media we make extends our body. So like, you know, these alternate realities or virtual realities, like it's almost like we're extending the spatialization that Jane's talks about, like into a, not just into our, you know, we, we think we have like this space in our heads where our consciousness is, but then the video game is like a new space where the consciousness fills up outside of our heads. I mean, yeah, we're extending ourselves into these systems in really surprising ways. Yeah, absolutely. It's very bizarre. Um, 
I want to read McLuhan and Janes and Steiner and Tom Campbell yeah. all at once. And it's like, Oh God, <laughs> I can never keep it all straight. Cause they're all, yeah. Yeah. I haven't, uh, I don't know. I went on a non reading kick and then I, I started reading again about a few months ago. Um, and this was one of them along with a few other ones and some yeah. guests that we have coming up and their books and right. stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, uh, not to take a little bit of a diversion, but I think I really do think like moderation is the key to life. Like I'm at my best when I'm like playing a little guitar, playing a little call of duty or NHL, you know, for me time, obviously I have a son and a wife and that takes up, you know, most of my day, but me time, everything, when I'm all my, the podcast, the creative stuff, everything's kicking. And, and right lately I, I've been thinking like when I focus too heavily on any one of those things, but I don't know why this made me think of that, but I just, I think the flow state really is the moderation and, and constantly, you know, tickling your, your passions. No, I, I think there's, I, I appreciate you saying that because you're bringing us to a very pragmatic and practical place that I think it's always important to, have that in mind um we're all very philosophical people but you have to be a body and a person and be, bring balance and um no I, I i that's a i think that's a very good sentiment um and, and you the, work hard man i'm impressed so i can understand. oh i appreciate it man it's tough but it's tough it's tough having a full-time job you know a little son that you also help take care of during the week you know and like dude Childcare is super expensive. I don't, I mean, I'm sure you know, you know, people know, but, um, you know, on top of all that, just everything, all the, the pursuits that I do on the side and the podcast stuff and the creative stuff. And, uh, but let's, the reason why I said that though, is I want to segue to a little bit of what you do with glass and art, because I think art is the ultimate form of breaking out of this bicameral mind like originality through art and uh expression is um yeah i mean i think that that's that's another thing i was thinking of too is like cave art did those people for a moment were those like a few people throughout time that are just like capturing what we're talking about and then maybe not the rest of the people but there was a few artists and a few you know intellectuals or whatever yeah, even the academics say that whoever painted them were probably tribal leaders or shamans or someone of great significance within the society that was playing a very important role. And I, I totally think you're onto it. Like that, that the, the drawing itself shows that there's a different type of mentality than everyone else that's there, and that it's a more modern mentality. So I, I think I, I totally agree, and I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, um, I've been doing glass for a living now for like the last year and a half, and there is just so much balance you have to bring to it. Like I, I don't want, I can't spend too much time doing that. I, you know, I do have a tendency to read a lot, but I can't do that all the time. Um, I, I, I play disc golf. That's one of my things. So I, uh, I definitely have a lot of hobbies. I balance myself in. I think, um, you know, we, we can't, we can't let the corporations get us and think about this idea of productivity. You know, there's, we're not, we're not trying to be productive. We're trying to be, become more spiritual and more loving. And that may mean sitting and being silent and being goalless and rejuvenating and bringing balance. And yeah, it's hard to separate productivity with like your own spiritual aspirations, but there's certainly, I think there's something of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be that noble cog or whatever, you know, like you just, 
We all like whatever it is, whatever you're passionate about, start doing it. If you're not doing it right now, take it from me. Like I just said, I'm at my best when I'm balancing all these things, hitting them all, you know, yep. same thing with uh, my boy Tischler over here. Look, listen to this guy. Look, go check out his glass, a Tischler glass, seriously on Instagram or a Tischler glass.com and buy yourself a Terp set, get a marble. Um, marble that your marble you don't have to do anything you can just set it it looks beautiful on your you know your counter or whatever your 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 collection i have a collection i'm a collector but uh, i'm uh, trying to trying to get some more pieces into your collection i we yeah. talked about follow up I, with that i'm all uh, i'll i'll be definitely adding to that in the future um, i will i just want to reference because you're giving me the platform um if if anyone listening is savvy on instagram and they aren't finding stuff in their price range or is not seeing something they want. If you just mentioned you, this is how you found me, we can definitely work on something. I want to support Mike, what you're doing and all the people supporting you. So we're a little community. So just mention that you found me that way. I'd be happy to, to get something in your hands. So very support, very appreciative of you guys. Dude, that's awesome for sure. Somebody take advantage of that because that's <laughs> no, he's seriously, he's, he's got stuff's on a lot of the nice uh, online um galleries and stuff like that too so his stuff's out there um i will also point out that um we maybe i don't know you know we'll talk about this more but we were talking about maybe doing a collaboration too maybe like a mind escape marble or something like that i think something like, if you're interested somebody's interested or people are interested in yeah. some sort of mind escape either functional yeah. or non-functional glass piece let me know yes yeah, I'm already. I, I'm thinking of ideas right now to get like a couple pieces made. That, yeah, yeah. There's some options, so it'll be some work, but it's totally worth it. So, yeah, it yeah. might be hard. I and I, I am not taking into account how hard this would be, but I think a dicurlic or dicuric yep. background yep. with like some like slime green writing or letter totally. or colors or something like that. I've seen yeah, you. You have good slime work on your on some of your marbles where you do those flower patterns. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with the term Marini? You know, Marini, mm -mm. um, people can do, uh, like an image and then like they'll do an image and kind of like a, a flat 2d thing. And then you stretch it out and cut up the slices and that image gets like a small, you get like a little coin with that image on it. So if we could do your logo in a Marini, we could stretch it out and cut up like 10 or 20 and then you can make more than one piece. Oh, dude, yeah, that would be sick. Yeah, it's like a way to get kind of like your image, and then we put some dicro behind it. Like, yeah, I haven't done too much work like that, but I would. It's a, such a good reason to try. So, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me think about it. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll get more into that. I'll let people know if that comes to fruition because I think that that'd be kind of cool. Um, and obviously, um, you know, we want to support Andrew here and what he's doing. And uh, yeah, go check his stuff out again. Atishlerglass.com. All right, let's get back into this now. Um, what what was your takeaway from the whole thing? Obviously, like I mentioned, I'm not completely sold. I think it's super interesting. It fits a lot of of the the holes or plugs a lot of the holes of mysteries and stuff. But through my own experiences, I do think that it's tough. Look, I have OCD, so I have my brain works differently to begin with. So it's not that hard to believe that that's possible. It's just hard for me to believe that throughout time we just, this guy's had to come up with this intricate theory to explain that. We just didn't figure it out, which is possible, I guess, too. But I don't know. What was your final takeaway from the whole thing? Yeah, it's, I think that's well said. Like, um, it, it really, 
until you put all of the pieces together like he's describing it's kind of hard to believe and he admits it all the time like you know it's it's a kind of an unbelievable theory so it really takes like seeing it from the very particular angle that he saw it from to sort of have it make sense but like you're saying when you do look at it from that angle it does make a crap ton of sense um but i just think my takeaway uh and i definitely referenced it uh the fact that kind of like everyone i'm reading is talking about the evolution of consciousness like it that kind of makes me excited um so I, I think you're right. I'm not committed to him being the guy because I think there's a lot more that needs to be added. But uh, he's, I think he's one of the guys that is starting to build that foundation. Um, just, just, I just, I think we can agree that like consciousness and mind and, and spirituality like are, are the big debates right now. Um, so it's just a piece in that debate. I mean, I'll give you... <laughs> I'll give you a hot take, which is I could stop the show right now and just say all this is going to be wrong 100 years from now. I'm not going to do that because I feel like you do need to build the correct narrative. So, like, I'm not saying that I'm, like, super intelligent or anything like that, but I mm -hmm. see a lot of dumb people out there talking about a lot of stuff that they probably shouldn't be, and then they have, like, way huge audiences. So it's like you kind of have to combat the BS with some of the more legitimate research you know and that's what i feel like i'm doing i'm trying to add value to you know whether i think it's right or wrong i want to present it in a way that allow people to um digest it and and like maybe they don't have the time to sit there and read the whole book or whatever but they can take away knowing that like i'm an honest person i'm not going to be like oh i figured it out or that we figured it we're never going to figure it out and i'll give you the final part of the heart hot take is we may never figure it out because we're in it we are in consciousness unless you are able to escape consciousness which is what this show is called mind escape if you can escape your mind the closest i ever got was with chemical intervention but if you can escape your mind, uh, you might have a chance at figuring out what consciousness is near-death experience, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, there's yeah. a couple ways to do this, so it's not like it's impossible. But again, we might not ever figure it out because that is what we, we're trying to measure consciousness with consciousness. We're the observer trying to measure an observation. You know, like we're, we're it's kind of like a, a double negative in a way if yeah. you think about it, so. Well, um, yeah. Uh, to just to, to, to uh, what's the, what, the phrase you use, but yeah, to go back the other direction. Um, what's fun with Jane's and these people is that they're so far on the fringes now that in a hundred years, maybe they'll move towards the center. Whereas the things that are in the center now in a hundred years will definitely be moved on from. So Jane's kind of occupies a very fringe space. So it's like, yeah, that's my fun way of, uh, it's, you know, he, maybe he will be the one that we have to say is wrong a hundred years from now. Cause he was a bit ahead of his time. And, uh, like you're saying, we still will have to overcome even that at some point, but, uh, at least he, he's one of these fringe guys that, you know, I, yeah, maybe will be part of the new paradigm that you're saying we'll, we'll have to overcome that too. And I totally agree with that. Um, uh, but also you're bringing up like really important personal uh, points of view about like balancing your, your interest in all these topics with like, you know, your own life. And uh, maybe we can get another episode going about my guy Steiner and the philosophy of freedom, which is his one of his main texts. And because he actually will, you know, talks about like, you know, epistemology and like studying mind and where it came from. And like, yeah, like, uh, 
a lot of what you're talking about is, is in that is in his some of his early work. So could be another episode. No, let's do it. I mean, I I was all into that. I was hands deep into that. Uh, you know, back when we were doing those episodes, I just it's something that you know you get on like a roll with other stuff and you just don't really think about it. Nothing against them. I just don't really you know haven't yep. thought about them in a while. But I'm gonna pick that back up. You know, like I said, let's do uh, let's do that. Let's do an episode on Steiner. Yeah. Um, We'll get it on the books, um, and yeah, I'll start looking into it. Just give me like a little bit of uh, direction of what you yep. want to look into, and we'll go there. Yeah, he's got um, some nice practical advice about spirituality that is very different from his like crazy theories about Atlantis and all the other stuff that he talks about. So yeah, we could maybe narrow in on that. I can get you some stuff to read. Yeah, I mean, I'm not worried. That seems more of like... Uh, thinking back i thought like oh it take that ser-. but no that's like like lemuria and you know all that stuff there's a thing where he's talking about like the egyptian traditions and he starts to equate like their architecture with the way that their minds are at the time like you know if you look at uh um he was just making correlations between like if you look at like the greek temples and some of right. them are like open air and these, you know, like he was just making connections between that and like the culture of the people too. But, um, but yeah, it, some of it gets wacky, but I mean, a lot of stuff gets wacky. So it's like, it's, if that's what we're worried about, I mean, that guy lived a hundred over a hundred years ago, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, just, to, I got into Steiner reading his philosophy and then I found out that he had all this other stuff to say. <laughs> Um, and I, I feel lucky that I got into his philosophy first, because I think if without that, you don't really know what to make of all the other stuff. Like you're saying, there's lots of people that have said lots of things. So I like to talk about Steiner's philosophy because I think it gets at more of the heart of what the practical stuff you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, that turn of the century to- time, too, is tough. Like Madame Blavatsky, you know, a lot of that stuff has like race, racial undertones and um yeah. You know, a lot of like messed up shit in there. But again, those are turn of the century people. Not that you, you know, whatever, but you can, you know, I can do it. But it seems like most of society can't separate the art from the artist. Not that we need to be um, like excusing terrible, disgusting behavior. But somebody, if we're going to read Marcus Aurelius's meditations and there's something in there that we don't like, are we going to be like, oh, this is the whole thing's garbage? No, you, you don't do that. I agree. And uh, I'm definitely a, a big fan of, I, I will always, if I get into somebody, I always Google like debunking this person or criticisms of this person because I want to know both sides. And yeah, there's definitely stuff that um, you can talk about with Steiner and these people. But again, I, I just, I'm a, you know, um, if you read Steiner's philosophy of freedom, he actually addresses some of that stuff. And, you know, uh, his point of view is that if, if the human being is free, then it can be free of all of these sociological, psychological, uh, historical, racial, all that stuff is falls away if you're talking about true freedom. And I, I think you know, Steiner's got a beautiful point of view on that. So yeah, um, I, I, yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I'm down. We'll do the episode on it. Um, and so the bicameral mind I'm putting it on the shelf as something kind of credit. Like I'll still need to go digest what it, what it was when, you know, I finished reading it. I don't know, four or five days ago. Cool. Um, and since then I've like thought about all these like 
other things that I've read or like theories and stuff like that and how it plays off of that. So I still think I need to digest it. So we could even maybe even do another episode on this as well as what I was going to say. Yeah, we can definitely do that. Cause like you said, there's three thirds of the book and we've kind of touched on some of it, but there's definitely more we can dive into. Oh, there's a ton. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot. Cause even it's not the biggest book. I mean, it's big, but it's not the biggest book in the world, but the, the content is so like all like mind altering you know in itself so yeah it'd be fun maybe to dig into like the role of the ziggurat and the role of idols and then the role of you know um well oh, like, or, yeah oracle. i like that part yeah let's definitely talk about that next time for sure yeah yeah that could be fun and i, I think you're right we could both uh brush up on it again because there's so much information in that book so that we're ready to talk about it that sounds great yeah yeah cool um, is there anything we wanted to hit on here before we wrap it up? No, I think I, I, I mean, I, yeah, we, we, I think it's great. We can always do another episode, but I feel pretty good. I got to mention, you know, it's not just Jane's, but a whole, and you know, a whole bunch of people talking about consciousness, talking about, right. um, and, um, but, well, did we ever talk about Dr. Claire Graves? I, I talked know. about with somebody else, but, yeah. um, uh, that is, uh, you did mention it. That one is, you know, there's a book called Spiral Dynamics um, Mm -hmm. that was written by these other two guys. But Dr. Claire Graves was a professor at a university, I want to say somewhere in like Ohio or something, um, that came up with this thing. There's like eight things and your consciousness as it evolves, like swings like a pendulum, like you'll go from like theistic thinking to non-theistic thinking to, you know, it just goes, starts going back and forth. And then you get to a point where your consciousness is so evolved, you're recognizing the patterns that lead to interactions and behaviors and things like that, where you can predict things that are going to happen. I mean, I do that because I have OCD sometimes because it's like a, like a almost like a defense mechanism when you're yep. in a heightened state of, uh, but th- this talks about how you can achieve that as like a regular state of being and like, you know, that kind of a thing. So it's a, it's a really interesting way of looking. I haven't looked at it in a while. I think that it's kind of got also got like a cult following, but something interesting to look into. All right. 1177 BC clerk. Yeah. I've got, I've got my list going. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's, that's about it here. Let's wrap it up, please. One more time, go check out, a Tischler glass on Instagram. He's super active on there. I always add his stuff to my story when I see it. Um, and as well, I mean, I've been supporting the, the glass art community lately, pretty hard. Uh, um, it's something that I've, I've actually been collecting, um, functional and non-functional pieces since I was like 19. So I think I got my first bowl on fish tour, uh, at it festival, uh, that yeah. was 2003. Such a small world. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I, I it's crazy that we're talking about this and, uh, you know, you're into a lot of the same stuff as me. So you're welcome on any time, of course. I know it's been a while since you've been on, but don't be a stranger. Obviously, we'll try and get the Steiner one in, part yep. two of this. Yep. And uh, yeah, everybody go go buy a, a Terp set or a marble right now. Uh, yeah. He'll hook you up, bro. I'm, I'm gonna return. I'm gonna return the favor because since I've been on, you've done 200 episodes, and you've had some really big names on this show. Like, it kind of surprised me a couple of times. So that's amazing. All the hard work you're putting in. It is not easy to do what you do. So, Thanks, and man. You're so uh, it's awesome to see, and it's great to be back on 
with this like new evolved platform and yeah so thanks for having me thanks for all the time you put in like i would never have been able to have this conversation if it wasn't for you putting out that content so oh man i'm i'm all about connecting with people and interesting uh things and dude thank you so much for your kind words and if anybody wants to support mind escape the best way to do it is to go to uh our link tree link down below it's got everything we got a merch store with designs that i created uh we've got patreon with exclusive episodes uh you know some of the people he just mentioned rick strassman and randall carlson and uh, a lot of these big big name people are on there as well um and what else oh go check out our documentary it's free on youtube right now uh it is called as within so without from ufos to dmt um, there is an extended cut on our Patreon as well for 777. You get the exclusive content with that as well. And uh, I'm just trying to think the easiest way to support the show, uh, if you can't spare any uh, goodies our way, would be just to leave us a nice review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We do do all of our episodes live on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe to that. But we also have our video episodes on Spotify. If you're not checking that out, please do that as well. It's in 4K. We're really pulling out all the stops here so um oh i'm working on a new song it's super sick uh love where it's going uh should be ready maybe by next week in a new video being uh worked on here eventually by uh, maurice yeah that's that's right maurice is still alive yeah he, he, he might be on one time i don't know um but uh yeah so look for all that but listen we got to wrap it up here we love you. We love everybody. Please stay safe out there. Spread love. Spread kindness. Don't don't listen to what's on the news. It's garbage. So just spread love and peace. And um, yeah, that's it. We love everybody. Stay safe out there. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Bye.